Wishing everyone a light filled Hanukkah. I hope it's been meaningful for all of you so far. It just, I feel so um, happy at this time of season when we have um, these eight nights to reflect on light and faith and hope and resiliency. Very special time. And so um, it's a good time for us to think about um, our, our kindness as well as we reflect on, on this holiday and what it's about. And um, we talk a lot about the Hanukkah oil. We talk a lot about the military victory. Um, we talk a lot about Jewish survivalism, but certainly there's also just a lot of emotions and midot, character traits that emerge alongside our complicated history. So let's start with a little poll question here on Miniat Cass, restraining anger. Uh, how angry do I get? I rarely feel angry. Option two, like most, I feel angry on occasion, but it fades pretty quickly. Option three, anger has been one of the great challenges of my life. Okay, let's see what your vote is over there. Okay, we're probably ready for results. Wow, wow. Okay, 17% say I rarely feel angry. 17% say, like most, I feel angry on occasion, but it fades pretty quickly. And 67% say anger has been one of the great challenges of my life. Okay. I hope we'll uh, unpack some of that together, um, in addition to the intellectual looking at the at the personal. Everyone has been a everyone, of course, has um, at least a little bit of anger in them. We've all been wronged. We've all been hurt. Reacting to anger is human and natural, and each of us will react to that anger when triggered in very different ways. Nonetheless, the Jewish ethical tradition wants us to do everything possible to contain or squash or limit or channel um, the control that anger has over us. So at the outset, it's important to distinguish simply between being angry and acting on that anger. Being angry, if kept in check and manifest, is not necessarily in inherently destructive. However, it is extremely difficult and often an exercise in fertility, futility to not give voice to that anger. Acting on anger then becomes almost inevitable, and it is from for this reason that simply being angry is frowned upon and, and viewed negatively in some sources as well. Anger unchecked will not only harm others, but will harm ourselves. The Talmud warns, an angry person is left with nothing but anger. Anger overtakes us and can result in our losing our senses and throwing us off balance. Another statement in the Talmud takes anger to the extreme, one who is angry does not even consider the Shekhinah important, the divine presence important. Furthermore, the Talmud explains that anger causes what causes one to lose their most cherished abilities. Anyone who is angry, if they are wise, their wisdom flees from them. If they are a prophet, their prophecy flees from them. 
Finally, how, how, we can, how we control our anger tells others who we are and what we're about. It is taught in Eruvin. A person is recognizable through three, three things, their pocket, their cup, and their anger. Kiso, koso, and kaso, right? They're playing it off, off the similarity of the three words, how these three things have this, um, you, know, the, um, you know, similarities in Hebrew. Kiso, kaso, and koso. Kiso is one's pocket, how they deal with money, financial stress. Koso, how they deal with um, alcohol. And kaso, how they deal with their anger. Those three things, three things reveal one's character, the rabbis teach. Eckhart Tolle, a New Age religious thinker, writes, for example, anger and resentment strengthen the ego enormously by increasing the sense of separateness, emphasizing the otherness of others and creating a seemingly unassailable fortress-like mental position of rightness. If you were able to observe the physiological changes that take place in your body when possessed by such, a negative, by such negative states, how they adversely affect the functioning of the heart, the digestive and immune systems, and countless other bodily functions, it would become abundantly clear that such states are indeed pathological, are forms of suffering and not pleasure. It may feel like a form of pleasure to kind of release anger, right? But actually, he's saying, looking physiologically, we see the, the enormous damage this does to our brains and our or other organs. And just as character traits and physiological physiological makeup are interconnected, as we see, so too are character traits interrelated. And that applies here as well. One Musar teacher taught, Rav Yerucham Levavitz, if a person wants to discern his or her level of humility, look at how they behave when someone speaks ill of them and insults them. If you become angry when insulted, know that you are arrogant because the humble person does not become angry. Even though anger and arrogance are two separate character traits, anger is impossible without arrogance. One who comes, who comes to anger is often because he or she is more arrogant. One might feel righteous and or justified in their rage, but Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, teaches otherwise. Be not hasty in your spirit to, to be angry, for anger rests in the laps of fools. If one wants a quality of life merely out of self-interest, self-interest alone, diminishing anger becomes imperative. Rambam, Maimonides teaches, those who frequently become angry have no quality of life. Therefore, Chazal instructed us to instruct, to distance ourselves from anger to the farthest degree until a person acts as though they do not sense even those things that would justifiably anger a person. We cannot reach truth if we are angry. In fact, the Musar work, Orchot Sadikim, of anonymous authorship, records that all traits, even negative ones, have their time and place, with anger being the only exception. Anger causes a person to be stubborn, and because of their anger, a person will not make concessions, and they will not admit to the truth. Similarly, Rambam normally recommends the golden mean, following a path of moderation, but not with anger, right? For, I want to remind us, uh, uh, Maimonides, being an Aristotelian, wants the golden mean. He thinks, okay, don't be, um, don't overspend. What, what do you call it? What, 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 what's a better word for an overspender? Um, I'm just blanking. Extravagant. Extravagant is a good one. Another one. How about someone who wastes, someone who's wasteful? What's a better word for a wasteful form of being? Spendthrift. Spendthrift. Okay. 
And then what would be the opposite? Someone who is stingy or someone who is uh, closed. Miser. A miser, my, yeah, miserly. So uh, over there, Rambam is a classic case. Rambam said, be in the middle. Don't go like be wasteful and be um, extravagant, live extravagantly, but also don't live um, without spending and don't and giving and, you know, um, so miserly. Um, find a middle path. And he's going to do that over and over with many different character traits. And once again, with the exception of anger, he said there is no like middle place that like a little bit of anger is, is good to have. He writes over here, there are certain character traits that one must distance himself from in the extreme. In fact, it is forbidden to take the standard approach of the middle path regarding these character traits. Anger is an extremely negative character trait, and it is fitting for a person to distance himself from it to the opposite extreme. One should train oneself never to become angry, even regarding things for which anger might be justified. Even worse, the rabbis go to the extent of saying that in a state of anger, we are like idolaters. We're like idolaters. A person who tears their clothes in anger or breaks their possessions or scatters their money in rage is considered as though they worship idols. What is the verse that alludes to this? There shall not be a foreign god among, but literally meaning inside you, nor shall you bow down before an alien god. What is the alien God that is present inside man? Present inside man? This is the Yetzer Hara, the self-destructive evil inclination. But we can't just wish anger away. Oh, this is b- bad. I would just wish it away. It takes hard work and determination. The famed 20th century Musar teacher, Rabbi Shlomo Volpi, who we've quoted a number of times, teaches that we need to set a time aside each day to work at it. He says over here, we will train ourselves to be patient. We will fix a specific amount of time each day, for example, approximately 15 minutes, in which we will strive to bear with patience all that we see and hear, even when things may be upsetting to us and even if they are hurtful to us, without losing our composure at all. In cases where it is necessary or obligatory to react, we will do so with measured, calm words without becoming overly emotional. Rav Simcha Zisselziv cultivated his own strategy to avoid losing his temper. He had a special jacket that he had set aside to wear when he was angry. He said, when I feel anger coming on, I know that I I have to get my special jacket. But by the time I do, I'm no longer angry. Right? So that's very interesting. So here we see at least two tools. We see from Revolbi this idea of setting aside time to reflect on it, to make sure that we're holding our anger rather than our anger holding us. And the second one is to have a kind of a behavioral strategy rather than a cognitive strategy of, do, of doing a task. Maybe someone says, I'm going to take a walk or I'm going to put on this coat. But as they say, it fades away, right? As we shared last time, um, this notion that um, um, it takes about a minute and a half for an emotional state to, to ultimately fade if we don't suppress it, um, if we actually just sit fully with that emotional state about 90 seconds. And so by the time we find that coat to put on, yeah, or a weighted blanket. yeah, (laughs) Um, That's great. So contemporary writers on self-compassion offer us some deep guidance. This comes from Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer in their work, The Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. When anger is no longer helpful to us, the most compassionate thing we can do is change our relationship to it, especially by applying the resources of mindfulness and and self-compassion. How? The first step is to identify the soft feelings behind the hard feelings of anger. 
Often anger is protecting more tender, sensitive emotions, such as feeling hurt, scared, unloved, alone, or vulnerable. When we peel back the outer layer of anger to see what is underneath, we are often surprised by the fullness and complexity of our feelings. Hard feelings are difficult to work with directly because they are typically defensive and outward focused. When we identify our soft feelings, however, we can we turn inward and can begin the transformation process. To truly heal, however, we need to peel back the layers even further and discover the unmet needs that are, are giving rise to our soft feelings. Unmet needs are universal human needs. Some examples are the need to be safe, connected, validated, heard, included, autonomous, and respected. And our deepest need as human beings is the need to be loved. We have to learn to be patient and tolerant and not allow a rush of impulsive anger to overtake us. Another connected trait we need to focus on related here is humility, as we talked about last week. Rav Yeshiyahu Horvitz from, from um, 17th century Poland writes, words of the wise spoken gently are accepted. Somebody who has acquired this trait will never come to anger. The meaning of spoken gently is that they are not spoken with arrogance. For a person who clings to the attribute of humility will never come to anger, for they are patient and ignore those who deride them. We see once again this idea of how we experience being slighted. We talked about this in Anivut, humility, last time, and also how the rise of anger when we feel mistreated ultimately teaches us our, our soul curriculum as it relates to humility. The Talmud suggests that even God, as it were, struggles to overcome anger. Anybody who's read the Torah knows that it portrays at times an angry God. It says over here in, in the Talmud, uh, uh, tractate of Brachot. From this we learn that the Holy One prays. What? God prays? What does God pray? Rav Zutra Bartuvia taught in the name of Rav, may it be my will that my compassion overcome my anger, that my mercy overcome my other attributes, and that I act toward my children with the quality of mercy. Now I love this because this is a beautiful theology of prayer. Some people hold the theology of pray. I, I pray to God for things and God's going to give me the things I want, right? I don't think so many people here think like that, but maybe there are some rare moments when we, we think like that. I'm going to pray for something I want and I'm going to expect that God's going to give it. It's like I buy a lottery ticket. I actually think I'm going to win. I mean, you know, people who live, uh, you know, in a delusional uh, uh, world, <laughs> you know, it's one thing to buy a lottery ticket and think, okay, I don't think I'm going to win, but it's fun to play the game. It's another thing that pray and say, I don't know how a mysterious God works, but I want to ask anyways, but to, to to live in a delusion that I'm going to win the lottery or I'm going to tell God I want X, Y, and Z. I'm just going to get it, right? So the theology of prayer is prayer is primarily here for connection and here to change us. It's here to change me. That's why it's hit palel. It is, it is a verb of something we do to ourselves. We don't pray, ex right, towards, we pray toward ourselves. So to God, praise. Well, who's God praying to? God's self? Well, yeah, God is praying to God's self. It says God is praying for the strength to like reinvigorate the strength that God's compassion overcomes God's anger, that God's mercy overcomes God's um, uh, commitment to justice, because mercy needs to outweigh um, justice, and um, compassion needs to outweigh anger. And so if the perfect being can experience anger, perhaps it's not in its essence completely bad. 
Of course, we must cultivate our capacity for outrage at injustice. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel writes, the prophets never thought that God's anger is something that cannot be accounted for, unpredictable, irrational. It is never a spontaneous outburst, but a reaction occasioned by the conduct of man. Indeed, it is the major task of the prophet to set forth the facts that account for it, to insist that the anger of God is not a blind explosive force operating without reference to the behavior of man, but rather voluntary and purposeful, motivated by concern for right and wrong. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Um, you know, Eddie and I um, were, were, um, were, were in D.C. on Sunday, and, um, and, and the vice president quoted Heschel in her speech, and she gave like the most, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, you know, I, I think she's a wonderful person, um, you know, or, or, or a really good vice president. But it was like the worst Heschel quote she could have picked. Heschel was so profound and poetic. And she and she brought a quote that said something like, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel taught that we should lift up the light. You know, and I was like, okay, I think I should have had a, a little more to say about the light than, you know, lift up the light. But whoever, I don't blame her, whoever wrote her speech gave her a very weak Heschel quote. But um, it, but Heschel is uh, incredibly poetic, and, um, and, and as is his wonderful daughter, Susanna Heschel, who we've had at Valley Beit Midrash. If you weren't there, you can find her recording um, uh, in our learning library, of course. Uh, our wonderful learning library. In any case here, he talks about the anger of the prophet and the anger of God and what a religious person is to do with that. So to be sure, there are times where it only makes sense that one would be angry, right? It says over here in uh, Pirkei Avot, every person has their hour and everything has its place, right? As we famously also quote say in Ecclesiastes, in, in Kohelet, right? A time for war, a time for peace and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so everything has its time and place in the world. And I think one of the powers of Torah, of Judaism, is that it is about the totality of emotional life, the totality of human experience. We don't say, just be happy. We don't just say, oh, the, the existentialist depth is all only found in sadness, right? We don't say that there's one kind of peak experience we want to offer. Everything has its hour. Everything has its place. Toni Morrison, the great Toni Morrison, writes, anger is better. There is a sense of being in anger, a reality and presence, an awareness of worth. It is a lovely surging. So how can we, when warranted, not be upset? Ma jaya sati bhagavati, right? Did I get that right? Ma jaya sati bhagavati, um, right? It is easy for a, a spiritual teacher to say, give up anger. There's reason for anger if we look at the plight of the world's children. And I don't just mean babies. I mean all of the Earth's children who are caught in war, hunger, disease, injustice. Sometimes it looks as if there's no justice anywhere in the world. But friends, there's a big difference between contained righteous indignation and a pervasive, uncontrolled cultural phenomenon of anger. It is the latter that is the primary focus of this topic and that we must shy away from. Rav Cook writes, we must hate anger with all the depth of our being, for it jumbles the mind and invalidates all the advantages of being human, individual and collective. When we see any group always expressing itself in anger, 
It's a sign that it has no understanding, no content with which to fill its emptiness, that in truth it's angry with itself, but that egoism comes and forces it to deposit the venom of its anger on others. The higher sages who have reached the height of justice and kindness are full of will and kindness and truth garland them all the day. You know, I was just reflecting um, on why the LGBTQ community has by far um, uh, movement has been by far the most successful movement of the last decade or so. And there's many reasons to give um, many reasons to give. You know, um, such as, you know, everybody knows a queer person. You know, not everybody has a has a black friend or a Jewish friend or a Muslim friend or or or, or whoever or an undocumented friend. But everyone's got or a friend in a wheelchair. But everyone's got um, everybody knows someone at work or in their family who's gay um, or trans or 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 something. Um, and um, but 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 that's only one reason. I think the bigger reason is. The movement, at least the best of the leadership and the bulk of those who march, has been a positive movement. It is, yes, there's, of course, there's, there's anger there, but it is a pride movement that celebrates love. It celebrates rainbows. It celebrates identity. It celebrates um, identity and being. And I think that's one reason why people don't feel threatened by it. I mean, some people feel threatened by it, but why many people don't feel threatened by it because it's not a, it's not a movement of rage. Now I'm not condemning movements that have rage in them. Um, I understand why many movements do, but it's worth thinking about. It's worth thinking about how movements that um, spread positivity um, and not, and not rage. And, and so uh, just to ex- share what Rob Cook said here again, when we see any group always expressing itself in anger, it's a sign it has no understanding, no content, with which to fill its emptiness, that in truth it's angry with itself. Now, um, um, I think we can see that if you look at like the George Floyd movement and understandable rage, and you look at people who rose up there and kind of channeled that rage towards bridge building and those who channeled it destructively. If you look at rising anti-Semitism and those who channel anti-Semitism towards a form of Jewish exceptionalism and a Jewish militant, uh, 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 militarism and a form of um, of kind of a rage against kind of you know um, really everybody um, and those who use anti-Semitism to, to to bridge build and again the anger is justified in all these camps but how do we how do we use it um, and that's worth that that's worth thinking about so on this point Professor Michael Walzer teaches the members of oppressed groups have been encouraged mistakenly I think to believe themselves injured above all by the disrespect of the dominant others and to seek the signs of proper regard. But a permanent state of suspicion about the demeaning or malicious things that are about to be said or done is self-defeating. It leads too often to a dead-end politics of anger and resentment. This is in his uh, work, Politics and Passion, toward a more um, egalitarian liberalism, published by Yale University uh, Press. And so um, how much do oppressed minorities um, remain stuck in a politics of anger and resentment? And how much do they hold that and transcend it as well um, in terms of moving forward? President Obama learned about his own maturation, his own maturity, to decide that if he wants to be a leader, righteous indignation is not enough. It's not enough. 
He writes over here in his great book, A Promised Land. If you've never read it, I certainly encourage it. I wanted to be neither a supplicant, always on the periphery of power and seeking favor from liberal benefactors, nor a permanent protester full of righteous anger as we waited for white America to expiate its, its guilt. Both paths were well-trodden, both at a fundamental level born of despair. Lama Rad Owens, a black gay Buddhist teacher who I've quoted here before and think highly of his work, explains how even when anger may be morally justifiable, it is not going to be productive. He writes over here in his book, The Path of Liberation Through Anger. In activist communities, our relationship to anger is immature, ill-informed, and overly romanticized. Um, we manipulate anger as a false source of energy and inspiration. Many of us have no idea how to really use anger to see the changes we need to see in our communities. Our relationship to anger is reactive and, and a compulsory one. We feel that we feel the anger and respond. When I'm asked to illustrate this point, I talk about finding yourself in a burning room and reacting to the danger by jumping out of a window to escape. You didn't have time to think about how far up you were or what you would land on. You just react to the fire and split. Our tradition, to, and, and uh, to conclude here and move towards our conversation, our traditionally, thankfully, is not only morally robust, but also gentle with our morals, with us mortals. We will struggle with and sometimes fail at controlling our anger. And so we should be grateful that it is indeed a mitigating factor. On this point of mitigating factor, the Midrash teaches in Midrash Lekach Tov, and they said to them, may the Lord look upon you and judge. From this, we see that a person is not held responsible for what they say in their moment of anger, for what they say is not considered to be a sin in such a situation, right? It's a mitigating factor in a court of law, and so too with God. If we wish to, but if we wish to live with kindness, we need others to feel safe around us. Being volatile can, can break down trust and make it more difficult to create safe, compassionate spaces. Let us strive together to control both our internal and expressed anger, thereby making this world a better place. Okay, friends, that's kind of a lot there. And of course, some of this may trigger um, some uncomfortable things for us. Um, as will all of our midot work and our, our focus on kindness. But here we're thinking about um, um, about how this extends to kindness. And yes, and as Ethan writes over here, is simply not acting angry an act of kindness. I most certainly think it is that many types of of kindness we're talking about here. I would put in the halachic category of kum va'ase, which means get up and go do something. Right? You see a sick person, get up and, and help them. Right, you see a person who's struggling and needs a hand, get up and help them. But then there's the cheval tasse, the stay seated, stay seated, and don't do something. There's a kind of kindness in restraint as opposed to an active. And I think that the first level of this, as, as Ethan is wisely pointing out, is there is a kindness through restraint that most people are in relationships, very close relationships, where people kind of sometimes pour their rage at them. Maybe they restrain their anger in some settings of their life, but then they pour it out in other spaces. And um, simply holding that back a little or finding a more productive way to channel it is a form of kindness to those people we love who sometimes become our, our punching bags. Thank you. Thank you for that. Eileen and then Lauren. Hi, um, 
Yeah. The thing that I've noticed about anger is as I've gotten older, I've become less angry. I don't get upset or bothered. As a matter of fact, I cannot think of the last time I was angry. I may be disappointed. I may be irritated. But anger wastes way too much energy. Now, there is a need for anger in certain situations. I think anger is useful in a survival situation Uh because it causes you to move, to fight, to survive. But in everyday living, it's not going to do anything positive for you. Yeah, Eileen, thank you for that. I think um, there's a lot of powerful things you said there. Um, And I don't think it's a natural thing with aging. I think that there's those who age, um, you know, aging as saging, as you've heard before. There's those who experience aging as saging. And there's those who experience aging as kind of curmudgeon, you know, becoming more curmudgeon, (laughs) you know, and those I know, I know folks who are in an aging process who are get more and more angry as they age. Um, and more resentful that they didn't get all the things out of life they wanted. Um, and other people who really become more gentle and more soft. And like you said, get less angry as, as they've learned that it doesn't serve them. Um, you know, and those who just hold it, like you, we, we've, we, we've said so many times before, like this idea of holding a hot coal in your hand, waiting for this moment to throw it, right? We're just burning ourselves the longer we're holding this anger and this resentment. And as you brought up around, around the brain, just like with fear, we know so too with anger, that first the, the amygdala gets triggered, this emotional state of, of anger, um, before we can even think about what's happening. And it, it's, it's an intense bodily position. And you're right, this is tribalistic. This is evolutionary psychology around what we've inherited, around survival. Anger has a purpose in the human system. Right? It is there to protect us. And then and then we need to see it emerge and then befriend it. Oh, there you are, my good old friend, Anger, or whatever we choose to nickname that angry person in us. Maybe you can give a little cute nickname. There you are. Thank you for showing up. I'm so glad you're here, right? Because you're here to protect me. You're you're here to get my body tense so I'm ready to fight, right? Because you got to be ready to fight at any moment when someone's going to hurt you. And now I can I can tell you to go back to sleep. I'm okay. Yes, you told me to be angry, but I see I, everything's under control here. Thank you for that. So, Eileen, thank you for that. So, I see Sarah wrote it over here. Um, but if you, if we are not acting out of anger, doesn't it still seep out? Not in words, not in energy. Body posturing, the tone of our language. Um, yeah, Anna Glea, thank you, thank you for that. I didn't even know that word, so thank you for teaching us that word. <laughs> um, Cyberite, I guess that's a word I need to learn. Um, and so, yeah, so Sarah's point here is really great, is... Um, what does it mean to release release negative emotions, right? Do we need to release them behaviorally? Do we need to release them through breath, right? Um, do, do they have to be released at all, right? Is there like no way for them to get out except for being released? Um, what like and and it's a question for all of you, like to reflect, like how do you release negative energy? Is it behaviorally? Is it through cognitive process? Is it a spiritual breathing process, right? Um, do you need to talk it out, right? Um, how do you release it? And we all have different ways of doing this stuff. Of course, it would be great to learn from your wisdom. Let's go over to um, over to Lauren, and then and then Aglaia, then Toby. Thank you for mentioning like the the mindfulness ways. 
of, of dealing with anger because um, I can be easily triggered, but yeah, stopping, thinking, recognizing it and breathing. Um, another thing is that in women, depression is often anger turned inwards. Mm -hmm. So that when you're, you're in a really, really difficult situation, maybe being oppressed, um, the response is more depression than, than actually feeling empowered enough to be angry. But then that has to be a way of dealing with anger better. I also want to say, like, we can learn a lot from Moshe Rabbeinu because mm -hmm. he was slow to anger. And of course, that's a midav Hashem being slow to anger. But okay, when he kills the Egyptian, it's righteous mm -hmm. anger. Mm -hmm. Maybe he went too far, but he's not punished for it. Mm -hmm. But when he strikes the rock at the end, Mm -hmm. um, out of frustration with the people, which was understandable at that point, he he is punished or he displays that he was no longer the leader to lead them. But mm -hmm. but I think we learn a lot from, mm -hmm. uh, from Moshe. So that's all I, I wanted that. to say. Yeah. Lauren, thank you for sharing the, um, your experience of, uh, in particular, a woman's experience of, of, of depression. That's powerful. And I saw a number of women here nodding their heads when you said that. Um, and I love that you brought Moses in. Yeah, and that indeed, um, it's so interesting to compare those two cases, how Moshe is not punished for killing in that moment of, of his passion crime, and, um, and yet being punished very severely, not being able to enter Israel for hitting the rock, um, and which seems like such a very small thing. And yet, um, when you reach a certain level of greatness, sometimes it, very small errors are, are, are large errors. Um, and so thank you for pointing pointing that out and um, and kind of uh, looking at his own progression there. That's very powerful. Okay, hi, Aglaia. Okay, yeah. All right, so this is going to be the most roundabout way that I ever get to a point, all right? Not that you guys aren't used to this for me by now, but roll with it, okay? So a class discussion that I have um, pretty much every semester is, okay, so what do you assume? Do you assume that anger actually is what gets, you know, social injustice taken care of? Or do you assume that compassion is? Well, you know what a bunch of 20 year olds say, knee jerk reaction, they just say, oh, yeah, it's all about the anger. And then I just say, okay, so who's anger associated with men or women? And of course, they say men. And I say, who's compassion associated with? And of course, they say women. And I said, notice how you went knee jerk reaction for anger. So then I started to like, well, if your anger isn't led by compassion, does it have any meaning? That kind of stuff. Now, taking that, we didn't discuss what happens when you're angry with God. Now, is there a way to also, you know, channel your anger at God through some sort of compassionate way? Okay, just roll with it, okay? Through some sort of compassion so that your anger of God at God does not actually end up, you know, kind of like coming out in high blood pressure and all of that other stuff. Because a lot of the time that people are angry with God, but then they don't want to actually talk about it. So if that makes sense. Uh, and so if you, if there's a way to actually channel it through compassion, even though it kind of sounds weird to have compassion for God, it might sound a little weird, but you know, at least it won't let lead to high blood pressure. So. Beautiful, beautiful. You know, I, there, there are some Hasidic teachings. I think it's the, the uh, Kedushas Levi uh, in particular, who talks about um, the role of being angry at God. And uh, some people may have thought it was some kind of low level, right? Um, that you should have perfect faith or love of God or something. But he talks about how it's one of the highest levels, actually. Um, being angry at God is such a high spiritual level. 
to be in relationship that passionate. So too, it's like, sometimes the people we love the most can make us the most angry, right? Um, because our hearts are so open to them. And um, and our, our hearts are open to them in a way that makes us more vulnerable to being hurt by them. Um, and so a stranger in the road, yeah, maybe they slight us, right? But the person who our heart is open to, if they don't call us on our birthday, right? Or they say something that be, knowing our vulnerability and they say something mean to us in a way that kind of like uh, touches a wound, right? It hurts us all the more deeply. And so too, like um, an anger at God kind of shows this level of vulnerability that we kind of have and a level of expectation we have in a sense. And so I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that there's so many great models throughout Jewish history um, around this issue of, 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 uh, of, of, of anger towards God. And I loved what you shared with your students as well around um, kind of this relationship with, with compassion and anger and what gets things you know, done. So, so thank you. So much more to say there, but let's go to Toby. Well, as usual, I'm gonna follow up on uh, Glea's comment because it was so appropriate. When the pandemic started, um, I was just in the process of converting to Judaism and um, I was so angry with God. Like, how can a God that I want to respect and, and worship, how could a God like that kill babies, kill families, kill, you know, thousands and thousands of people who are absolutely innocent? And I got really, long story short, <laughs> I like Anglia, I tend to wander. But um, I started studying the book of Job and I studied it extensively. And, and it was somewhat helpful, that study, to just look at what had come before and what, what, what the sages really said about that. And I started looking at other things. And eventually I got to the point where I went, you know what, first of all, I don't know what's in God's mind. I don't pretend to know what the great plan is. Um, that didn't help me from being angry, but it, it did sort of give me a starting point. And then I started doing research on, on God changing. And I looked through the, you know, our scriptures and how God was going to wipe out the entire earth yet again after Noah. And, you know, we reminded, hey, wait a minute, you said you were never going to do this again. And so through all of that study, I guess, and through talking with rabbis and, and learned people, um, I got over the anger with God. It's like, you know what, um, this is a person who's also given me great gifts you know, a person, well, an entity who's given me great gifts. Yeah. You yeah. know, so I, I don't know, but that, that didn't really answer anything, but it's, nope. it's another way of looking at things. Beautiful, beautiful. And, you know, just to pick up on Toby's point, we're going to bracket the massive questions of theodicy for the moment around, you know, um, what God can do or can't do or should do or shouldn't do and what that leaves us feeling abandoned or, um, or frustrated um, but I know that one theology that has been many, uh, meaningful to many people, um, you know, um, who are going through hard times in particular, has been forms of, um, uh, of, of liberation theology. You know, theologies of that God feels, now Maimonides would be rolling in his grave at this, but that God feels emotions and um, feels them with us. Right, Aglaia uh, <laughs> likes that. <laughs> I love Aglaia how you express your emotions on the Zoom. It adds so much life to the party. 
um, yeah, that, you know, Rambam just thinks it's like the worst heresy to think of God with emotions and God as feeling things. And, um, but, uh, but bracketing the Rambam for a moment with all respect to the, the great rabbi, you know, that, that God cries with us and, and God suffers with us. And when we're having a hard time, God is present, um, also mourning and sad with us. And, um, and so that is, um, that's very powerful rather than like thinking of God having a daiquiri on the beach while we're suffering, being like, where are you? Like, just, you know, oh, so happy up on high while I'm down here suffering, thinking of God, as it says in the Talmud, that God is there in uh, hovering above the hospital bed, right? Kind of de deeply there with the person who's suffering. So, um, yeah. Anyways, Toby, thank you for, for bringing up your struggle with that issue and reading the book of Job and all of that. Hey, Reb Dove, we're up, we're up to you over there. Unmute, unmuted. Uh, one of the, the the things that comes through to me that makes the this business about anger with God, and I, I put it into a broader context. And if I if I can, I'm going to misquote Solomon Schechter deliberately. Solomon Schechter said, "You can't be an American rabbi unless you know baseball." Well, that was his time. <laughs> I would say today, you can't be an American rabbi unless you understand the NFL, football, not soccer, football. Okay. Have you ever watched, by the way, baseball too, the guy who scores the touchdown and goes, yes, sir. And I always thought about why doesn't he drop the ball? The other team get it. And he goes, yes, sir. <laughs> no, no, no. You only give credit to God when you win. <laughs> you, you blame God when you don't win. I mean, it, it's the kind of thing that drives me crazy, <laughs> particularly when it comes to teaching about prayer. Prayer for me is grammatical. I want to thank you for bringing it up before. And I want to re-emphasize it. The verb conjugation, which in Hebrew is so much fun. I mean, they've got these constructions that tell us so much about how words work. If you translate lehit paleo literally, okay, you are balancing your goods and your bads. You're mm -hmm. weighing yourself. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with God. Mm -hmm. It's the moment in which you pause to say, oh, okay, let's put things in perspective. Perspective is God. Now, to quote Schechter correctly, I've always loved this one. And then I'll shut up. Uh, Solomon Schechter said, you do all you can to resolve crises. When you as human beings can do no more, then turn to God. Mm -hmm. We could have solved COVID. We could solve flu. We can solve cancer. We have the minds and brains and creativity. We've got the wealth, the opportunity, uh, there's no limit to what we could do, but it's so much easier to blame God. Mm -hmm. And that kind of frees us from being responsible. Yeah. 
Yeah. Amen. Thank you. So <laughs> <good>. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, a lot there. A lot there. Yes. And uh, interesting, your assessment of like the progression from being a, a country of baseball to a country of football. And yeah, I'm still amazed. Like, I don't watch hockey, I, but I I, so I I caught something on the TV in a public place. And they just hockey. let these guys beat each other up. I mean, like, that's just part of the entertainment, I guess. But geez, I mean, it's like you sign up to be a hockey player. You're also just signing up to be, you know, a boxer. Um, you know, and so uh, and so I'm not a fan of, of the violence. But but um, but yeah, thank you for those points. And and I think there was really so much there of what you shared. Um, and I think um, uh, there were a number of things I wanted to respond to, but I actually lost lost my train of thought. Uh, through, Sorry, through, through all of that. But uh, it'll come back to me in a moment. Let's let's hear from someone else, and it'll come back to me. Um, something around the first thing you had shared. Ethan. Yeah. Oh, hey, Ethan. Hi, rabbis. Um, I I want to pick up on on Rabbi Lerner's point um, by first making a, a critique of of our people, and I wonder if um, this room shares in this critique of of Judaism, um, and that is that I have found in in my Jewish life um, that sometimes we have a, a way of comparing. Um, past tragedies to current moments, um, as as if to um, as if to dole down the anger which we are currently feeling. Um, I I have a a cousin who passed away um, two years ago, and he he died at the age of twenty five. Um, and oftentimes in in my family. Um, for all of his life, he suffered from a, a severe form of childhood epilepsy. And um, for most of my life, if things were hard, um, I was reminded of what it was like for my cousin Derek to be suffering. Um, and oftentimes that anger would go away. Um, I remember when the pandemic started, there was uh, accounts, Jewish accounts that I remember seeing that said something to the effect of um, your ancestors, you know, lived in closets for years at a time, hiding from the Nazis. You can handle staying at home um, with your Netflix and, you know, order in food. You'll you'll be fine. Um, and while I think it's important to have perspective on past tragedies um, to be able to compare that to our, our current lives, I think Sarah has pointed out really beautifully in, in the chat and, and Rabbi, you did as well, that it's important to have a relationship with anger, um, that we can't um, dismiss the fact that it is going to be present in our lives and that um, even though there may have been past tragedies that it may in some ways outweigh the the outcomes that we're currently feeling that we can't dismiss the fact that anger is going to play a role in our lives. Um, and, and this is where I think um, Rabbi Lerner brings up an interesting point in, in that I, 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 at least in my experience, um, oftentimes the most healthy way that I have been taught to express my anger is through recreation, um, whether that be exercise or uh, recreational sports. I think mm -hmm. Rabbi Lerner, uh, oftentimes I, I know many contemporaries who use football and pro sports as a, as a way to express their anger um, that they're feeling internally towards uh, opposing teams and, and fans and that kind of thing. Um, 
and I don't know if that's an incredibly healthy way to to live through life, you know. Um, and and I, I I think it's important that that it, it you know as we come towards the end of our discussion here that we continue to think about ways in which we can health engage with anger um, and use it and accept it in our lives and, and turn it into to other forms of kindness um, and not just dismiss that a it's not going to be a part of our life and b that uh, we need to only confine it in certain uh, arenas that may ultimately be destructive so okay thank you ethan there's so much there and, and i just want to say that and excuse me if i offend anyone here but I, I really don't understand uh, sports fan culture at all. Um, people who just like live for the Super Bowl, they live for the World Cup, they live for like these games and like are hanging at every moment. They're screaming at the TV or they're in the crowd. They they fly the game. Now it's one thing to like enjoy, like love the game. It's to love the game. But those who like, as Ethan's saying, like there's a level of rage in them that comes out in that space, like. Like they're crying when their team loses the like loses in the World Cup, or they're like no no the, no, no, no 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 yeah pardon me I'm going to interrupt please they don't cry when their team loses they say we lost we lost I always want to say what position right. do you play <laughs> right right and so I I, I I I I I think it's great you're bringing that up Ethan because I think that that there's all these things that we've come to normalize as saying oh this is just a part of culture. And um, but actually, it, it really represents something else happening in the psyche. Right. And that's that that sports culture is just another byproduct of, you know, unchecked kind of psychological dynamics that have emerged. Again, I'm not opposed to sports, love playing sports, like even watching some sports. But it's this intensity that emerges um, where one's identity is, gets fused with being a fan, like an individual identity with being a fan. Now, and something else you kind of touched on that I want to um, speak to as well is. Um, uh, around multi-generational trauma. And what's interesting is many of us have things that have happened in our own lives that hurt us, things that happened in our own lives that hurt us. And so we've worked through those. We've gone to therapy. We, we see what triggers us around those. But then there's the irrational. It's or the seemingly irrational because something's triggering us in a way that we don't understand why it's triggering us. And part of that is because it's in our it's in our DNA. I mean, it's the multi generational trauma is it is in us in ways we don't even understand. And so things make us angry and and are formative for our our form of being in ways that we can't fully access. Now to go back to Rabbi Lerner's point around the football player if they win if they win they celebrate you know, and, and they, and they, and they point up to God, right. You know, I, um, when I first, and when, when I first lived in the ultra Orthodox world, I remember being annoyed by the answer to everything being Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. No, no, I, I, I'm asking how you're doing. Uh, and they say, Baruch Hashem, I want to know how you're doing. I don't want the answer to Baruch Hashem. Say, I had a good day. I'm not feeling good. Tell me what's happening. You know? And so I, I, I felt like a gap, but I, but I came to actually love the Baruch Hashem. If you also kind of, also share how you're doing because it can be like a gamza latova like this too is for the good someone says how you doing and you're actually having a bad day you say baruch hashem and then you say you know and it's been a challenging day so like thank god like thank god i'm alive and i feel that all these things i feel and here's also what i'm experiencing as well like we don't just point up when i win like oh thank god i just had a baby i just like i just like got a job promotion like god is so good right but so too god is so good and I'm having a horrible day, you know, or I lost this game, but how lucky am I to like be able to play the game, you know? And so that's, I think, what like a, 
a truly religious personality that sees kind of the divine in everything rather than just in kind of winning, you know, getting the touchdown, so to speak. And, you know, and I was in the airport yesterday and I was struck by a guy. What is it called? What is it called when a, when a Christian crosses their crosses their body? You know, like what's that ritual called? Anyone? Genuflection. Is that what's called? Genuflection? Okay. Yeah. Genuflection okay. is the knee. Genuflection is the knee, I think, because genu is Latin word for knee. So, okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Okay. So, you know, I'm so used to making a bracha before I eat food. I'm going to eat food. I'm going to thank God for the food. And I saw a guy in the airport that before he ate his little chicken tenders, he, you know, he, um, he, he, he did one of these. And, um, uh, and I was like, oh, like, I get it. Like, it's not just, oh, I, I made a touchdown. It's like, wow, I'm going to eat food. And I'm going to, like, find a way to thank God for, for, for eating that food. So, um, so, you know, that's, you know, and we all have very, very different relationships to the divine, whatever the case is. But I think, I think this point also of like, it's only God, it's only God when we're angry, that's a fault, like you're saying, or it's only God when we get a touchdown. But like, like, we kind of have to mature to, you know, in our theologies around, you know, thinking about what, you know, where the divine is present and where not. Okay, let's go to Sarah, then Eddie. Uh, yeah, thank you. So um, I'm glad you raised this, this notion of trauma because I think it underlies most of our anger, um, early traumas, particularly when you're with someone who is just, you cannot imagine the amount of rage that is flowing out of this human being. And you're thinking, this was just a little thing. And I've been able now with a lot of therapy to step back and go, oh, this is something, this is now their three-year-old who is standing in front of me. Something is just wounding them so deeply at that age and they have no clue. And I have compassion for myself in that moment that wants to react, but I have much more compassion for that human being in front of me. And that's, that's the for me, one of the great gifts is to be able to recognize how trauma sits in front of us and our own traumas. And when we can't do that, then yeah, we will be in pain and we will react in ways that often is rageful and very damaging. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. And, um, you know, it's easy for us to feel like we're not like the people on TV because we see like these last few years in particular. I mean, I'm not, I'm not that old, but I feel like in my lifetime, I've never seen the worst character that I've seen in the last like, you know, let's randomly say six years, six years in America. <laughs> um, and we we see them online. Online. Like, uh, the things that oh are my coming, gosh. The it, it things so that people crazy. say. It used to be the lowest form of human discourse was in the comment section on articles. Uh, you write an online article and people who comment there, it's just like, but now it's just, you can just turn on Twitter or go wherever you want and just see like such uh, rage and such unchecked, you know, fill in the blank. Um, uh, can I can I thank and correct myself, Aglia? Genuflection literally is to bend the knee. I checked it out now. It's to the, no, no, no. I This is how I learned. Yeah, good, good. It, to cross oneself, there apparently is no single word. The Latin is signum crucis. That's, there's just nothing else. And sign I, the cross. Sign the cross. Yeah. To make the sign of the cross. Yeah, yeah. Okay, very well, interesting. And thank I you. thank you. 
<laughs> thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, okay, yeah, and Sarah, yeah, and Sarah, thank you for that as well. Um, very powerful around um, trauma and around rage. And and anyways, and so we and so we look at the public discourse field and we feel we see the worst of it. But it's a reminder that that, that macro is in the micro as well. It's in all of us as well to very different degrees. And that instead of us being like, oh, Twitter's the worst or those billionaires or politicians are the worst. Rather, it says, how do I do the work that that person clearly needs to do as well? Right. Like, how do I continue to do the spiritual work I need to do? And by doing it, hope that other people will also participate. Hi, Eddie. Hi, thank you, Rabbi. It's funny what you were saying about this uh, sports, as I'm literally wearing sports jersey of Mexico. <laughs> um, I, I think there's a difference. Though, you, 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 when, you wear it joyfully, not not ragefully. So. <laughs> I think there's a, a difference between um, when something becomes your entire identity, um, any wins or losses are directly tied to you, your well-being. Um, whereas I, I feel like a lot of people have issues finding identities outside of just singular things. Um, so I was very interested in the topic when you were talking about um, acting out our anger. I um, And what should we do with our anger in therapy? I uh, had a very good conversation with uh, a previous therapist who we talked about how um, we should be allowed to be angry. Anger is an is a natural emotion, just as um, feeling joyful is. It's when you're the difference of being um, angry and turning it into being mean. So my um, my uh, therapist would always say, you're allowed to be angry, but you're not allowed to be mean. You're not allowed to use that anger towards being mean to somebody or something, because from there it, sh it switches on the barrier into something that's inappropriate. So uh, like you're allowed to be angry that your team lost, but you're not allowed to be mean and yell to the other person. And on the opposite team, you're not allowed to come home and be angry at your spouse. You're not allowed to, you know, be a jerk to every single person because of your anger. While your anger is valid, you're angry, you know, you're angry that, you know, a team lost. Uh, what's not valid is the, the switch into uh, being mean. Yeah, you know, um, I, I I think I think a good parallel here is um, sexual desire, right? It's like um, whether one is younger or older, whether one is straight or or queer. Like most human beings have some most human beings have some form of sexual desire, and when channeled very appropriately, appropriately, can be a very productive and beautiful thing. And yet, so many people have no idea how to handle their sexual desire, and they manipulate, they oppress, they're abusive. They um, they have sexual desire all the time. Um, they simply have no ability to um, restrain such a thing, and um, and so and um, and and that's one of the great evils of our time of 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 rape and abuse and um, you know pornography as it as it is um, as it as it exploits and and the like. And so too, um, and and it's come to be celebrated. But hey, sexual desire is natural. Well, Judaism doesn't just celebrate the natural. Today, it's very popular to celebrate the natural. Anything that is naturally human is to be celebrated. Judaism says, take the natural and refine it. Re refine it to be beautiful, to make it sacred. Make the natural sacred. So too, how do we take the anger and say, wow, anger is one of the most destructive forces in the history of the world, of the past and of today. And how do we name it as natural and then make it sacred 
to allow it to do its job in the right time, in the right way, that builds bridges rather than tears them down, that spreads more light than heat. Thank you all for joining today. Chanukah Sameach, wishing you a light-filled holiday. Much love.